So 
church, you may have a seat. If I haven't met you yet, or in case you forgot, my name is Evan, I'm the lead pastor here. And I'm so glad to see all of you this morning. If you forgot or didn't remember, today after church, we are having a barbecue. So stick around after. We're going to have hot dogs, burgers. We have four veggie, veggie burgers and four veggie dogs. If you need that, then you'll have to fight some for it, I think, because uh, we'll just have a few of those. And immediately following today, we're going to have a baptism. And so the barbecue, right? That, but it's also to celebrate the fact that a lot of you college students are wrapping up the school year here. And so we just want to send you out with full bellies, first off, and celebrate <laughs> you a bit. But I need to know, now, stand up if you are graduating this year and if you are finishing. How many graduates do we actually have? For the rest of you who aren't graduating yet, please come back um, next term. We love making it. When are you guys coming back? What weekend will you guys be back in August? 20th ish? You don't know? All right, well, it may or may not be back. They don't know. Okay, awesome. Well, hey, glad we could celebrate you guys today. Um, one of the people who stood up, Ken, today who is graduating, we're gonna hear from in a bit today because he is not only graduating, but he's leaving and never coming back. So we're gonna to talk to him a bit later. So just wanted to celebrate you guys there. Hey, a few other things. Uh, coming up on May 21st through May 23rd, we have man camping. Um, we are going camping as a church. So if you are available on the 21st there, join us. We're gonna be leaving this building at 5 p.m. So meet here at five. We're gonna go out to Horse Thief Lake. We've got dinners and the main food ready for you. Just bring snacks and games or whatever you want to bring and join us for camping there. That'll be May 21st through the 23rd and then we're making it to church that morning. So join us there. Coming up in just a few weeks as well is Pentecost. And Pentecost is the day when the Holy Spirit first fell in the upper room on the disciples. And so we're gonna celebrate Pentecost with a worship night here. That's gonna be Sunday night May 23rd at 6 p.m. So you're going to want to join us there, May 23rd, 6 p.m. for a Pentecost worship night. And actually, the day before that, on the 22nd, uh, we're going to do some yard work in this place. And so we're going to have a yard work day. Saturday, May 22nd, we're going to clean up a lot of the leaves and a lot of the garbage that's around this building, do a little bit of landscaping, and really make this place nice as we move into the summer. So that's Saturday, May 22nd, 10 a.m., we will be having a yard work day here. So please join us for that. And if you forgot the announcements, remember that they will be on the website at commongroundchurchcma.org under the events and updates page. And you'll be able to see the rest of those there. Now one more thing is yesterday um, was our very own Nick Rombo's 16th
Thanks for singing. With that, you can hop to your feet and engage in social, awkward social interaction time. Um, feel free to try to make this time a little less awkward by telling someone your birthday. <laughs>
pray that you open my eyes to see and open my ears to hear, just to see what you're doing with me. I think that's the hardest thing, is to see other people changing and other people's lives going and thinking, wow, I'm still here. Uh, but that's just not true. You are changing all of us, and you're shaping our hearts and molding um, the things that we value to fit you and your plan and um, the things that you care about. So I just pray that you allow me to see that in my life and see that in my friends' lives um, so that we can rejoice in that together.
disguise that you put there, knowing that um, you have control over all of it. Um, every star that explodes, every person that's born, um, every life turn that happens, you have control. And that is amazing and so peace-giving.
I just thank you for his authenticity, um, the fact that Ken is someone um, who sees you for who you truly are and who is committed to living that. God, I just thank you for the faith that he has, the faith that is able to reach in, in places that only he can, um, and the impact that he's had on this city, on this community, on School of Minds, on Common Ground, that, that only Ken could have had. God, we just look back on that and we praise you for it. Um, we praise you for the ways that you've gifted him. We praise you for the ways that you've wired his personality. God, we just praise you and we just thank you. And we come before you today, um, seeing him move out to Minnesota, um, just with a posture of thanks, God. With a posture of thanks, while at the same time we grieve. Grieve a friend who's gonna be moving far away. But God, we just know that, that this is all part of the plan and that, that you have so much in store for him. And so God, we just pray um, for this upcoming job as he moves to Minnesota. We pray that he would find favor amongst his coworkers, that you would continue to make him a man of integrity who works with excellence, and it would be from that that you would just display your goodness and your integrity, God. I pray that you would give him a church family uh, that would rally around him, that he could plug into, that could help him to, to spur him on towards you. And God, we just pray for whatever that church may be, we just know that, that you have equipped him in so many ways to just really encourage and strengthen them. And so we just lift them up, whoever that might be. And God, we pray for Penny. Um, we thank you for sustaining their relationship this whole time as they have dealt with engagement while living on the other side of the world from one another. And God, we are just so looking forward to, to restrictions being eased and for her to be able to come back and, and for the future that they have together. God, we just thank you for the love that they have. And we pray that it would continue to just be a light. Would it continue to just be an image of your love for your bride? Would you just equip them in that? And so, Father, we just place Ken in your hands. We commission him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to move to Minnesota, to, to work in minds, to move mountains, and to, to do your work, God. We know that you are going to do amazing things through him, and God, I just thank you that you bless us with him for these last few years. And so, Jesus, would you just continue to be with him? Would you continue to give him favor in his relationships and in his work? And it's in your name that we pray. Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much. I'm Patrick. We just give Ken a hand as he
Um, I, I think I've been living in denial for a while, not denial in the fact that I'm getting older, denial in the fact that I think I've been in arrested development since I was 20, you know? Uh, my wife would probably say since I was four. But, you know, so to me, uh, Evan's older than I am. So, uh, that's, I think that's a good way to look at it, and that's how I choose to look at it. Even though in reality, he's like, what, 14 or something like that? <laughs> But anyway, thank you for the birthday wishes. Uh, it made my day very special, and, uh, and yes, your singing to me made my day so far very special, but I'm looking forward to bigger and better things coming up. So, um, when I was about 21, somewhere around there, I went bowling with my roommate and a couple of girls that were following us around. And, um, you know, we we're just having fun. And somewhere in the middle of this night of fun at the bowling alley, uh, an argument developed. And the argument was over the fact that one of the girls was trying to bowl with a 16-pound bowling ball, you know, which was like about one-third of her total weight. Okay, <laughs> little thing up there. And I don't know why that was an argument, but it seemed to become a, a very important issue between her and her friend and my roommate. Me, I didn't care. You know, she wants to bowl with a big old boulder, she can bowl with a big old boulder. That's that's just fine. So while they were arguing, I, I went up and threw my first ball and got a 7-10 split. You know what I'm talking about? My two pins standing opposite ends of the lane there. And I'm like, oh man. So uh, I lined myself up and I and, and, and I released the ball and down it went. And it was probably one of the smoothest releases I've ever had. And uh, I just just clipped that one pin and it fell and just slid across the, the alley like that and took out the other pin. And I'm like, I just picked up a 710 split. And I turned around like this to my friends. They didn't see a single thing because they were still arguing with that stupid 16 pound ball. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then way down a few, oh, I don't know, maybe about 12 lanes from us, I heard some guy go, I saw it! It was amazing! <laughs> and it makes me wonder, what is it within us that makes us want to be noticed, to be applauded, uh, to be exalted, and that sort of thing. What, what is that thing that, uh, that is in each and every single human being? So uh, that's what we're going to look at today in Daniel chapter 4. If you would pray with me, uh, we'll get into the message. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to um, come here together and uh, in community and fellowship with one another. Thank you that we get to worship you as our Lord and our Savior. Uh, thank you that we just have the privilege of life that you created and breathed into us and the hope of eternal life which you've given to us through your son Jesus Christ. Um, thank you for all that we're able to celebrate in this day. And uh, we pray for that, Lord, that today would indeed be a celebration. Uh, but Lord, as we look into your word, and especially the topic of chapter 4 of Daniel today, that, um, that Lord, we would, that we would celebrate you and just you today. Um, help us to do that. And so as John the Baptist uh, prayed, Lord, um, and, and especially this is a prayer for myself, 
um, at Lord Bay, may we decrease that Jesus Christ would increase. We ask that in our Lord's name, amen. All right, so just so you know, I may step on a few toes today, but um, I'm standing on my own in a spiritual sense while I do that. But before we get to that, I just want you to kind of go away into kind of a, an imaginary uh, thought mode here and imagine, if you will, a Babylonian herdsman speaking of a strange encounter. And uh, I don't know how they spoke in Babylonian. You know, I don't know what their accent was, so um, I'm going to... I'm going to have to come up with a different one. So uh, here's, here's what this guy has to say. I was up with my goose one day when I came upon a wild head of maniac crawling about on all fours like a beast. It was barely clothed, covered in both his and the earth's filth. Soaking wet he was, as he had not the sense to get himself out of the rain, or else he slept on the ground and be covered with the dew like the grass in the field. And speaking of which, that was his meal. Grass and weeds he consumed much like the goats I tended for the royal house. He babbled to himself incessantly. I was everything, and then I became nothing. Isn't that something? Over and over again, this maniac muttered this phrase with grass spilling out of his mouth. I thought it would be a pity to bludgeon him to death with my staff as a service to King Nebuchadnezzar by ridding all madmen from his realm. So I thought until I recognized the face of this lunatic as the king himself. So imagine that scene, because that's probably what happened. <laughs> Somebody saw what happened in King Nebuchadnezzar's life, and he had to tell his friends about that. You know, history has no shortage of mad kings. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar II, who is the subject of chapter 4, uh, typically tops the list uh, that includes other people like Ivan the Terrible and good old King George III, the tyrant uh, that, uh, you know, caused us to declare independence. Mad kings, pepper fiction as well. George R. R. Martin's... Uh, unfinished book series, uh, The Game of Thrones, uh, it, it, it just rocketed into popularity because everybody was so interested in the storyline that was spawned by the mad king, Aris Targaryen. Now a lot of you are looking at him, what are you talking about? Well, if you read the first four books, five things I think he's got done, you'll get part of the story. Uh, he's still got two or three books to go, but he's going to die of a heart attack before that happens. <laughs> but, uh, you know, HBO picked up a storyline, and, and it just blew things up for them, because for some reason, we're interested in the madness of rulers. Perhaps there's something about sitting on a throne. And considering oneself as sovereign, in control over the realm. In fact, being a member of royalty itself presents an expectation so large that the normal human psyche can barely handle that. When we sit on a throne and believe ourselves the sovereign control of our realm, we're just a little bit mad. There's an Arthurian notion that Merlin, 
the magician, spoke to the young King Arthur, and he said, you will be the land, and the land will be you. If you fail, the land will perish. As you thrive, the land will blossom. To put that upon an individual is basically to say, you are the kingdom. And whatever happens to you happens to the kingdom. Well, if that notion is in fact true of royalty, then in this case, Nebuchadnezzar is Babylon. And if you have a good biblical understanding of Babylon, it's more than just a Middle Eastern empire that existed during the years of the Old Testament. It is also understood throughout the Bible to be the world system that is opposed to God. We're told in Revelation that Babylon, Babylon the Great, has fallen. So that would mean that like Nebuchadnezzar, this unbelieving world opposed to God will someday in a period of sevens, as we're told in this chapter, will be humbled to acknowledge that God alone is sovereign. So before we get too wrapped up about when that happens to the world, maybe we should perhaps stop and think about what might need to happen in our own lives. So the focus of Daniel so far, that chapter one, was Daniel himself, the man. Chapter two, the wise men of Babylon who made Nebuchadnezzar angry quite a bit, and how Daniel eventually is elevated into the position of being chief of those, men, of those wise men. Chapter three, Eva took us through that last week as we looked at Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, uh, the one who was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and their stance against the king. They would not bow down to that unbelieving world and its culture and its standards. And now we get to chapter four. And chapter four is a strange chapter in this book because the historical narrative that we've been reading so far, just before we get into the prophetic and apocalyptic language of this book, is actually inserted by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. He wrote this chapter, and it's... Well, it's all about him. <laughs> now, some keys, if you're studying the book of Daniel, and we hope you are, we hope you're checking in on the church's podcast uh, to get some more, as we call it, bonus information uh, about this book, uh, things that we weren't able to include into the sermon, uh, which is to your benefit. Otherwise, we'd be here till about 1.30. Um, this week, Evan and I are going to sit down. And we're going to have a conversation about mental health because that's touched upon in this book, but uh, we won't have time to hit that in the in the sermon today, but we encourage you to do that. Check out the podcast on all kinds of platforms, Spotify and, and so on. Uh, but here's some keys to study the book of Daniel. We encourage you to do that, to be reading this, uh, this incredible book. This, this book is cosmic in its setting, and it's not just a message for the Old Testament Hebrews, but it's a message for all the nations, for all the times. It's good to understand that biblical literature was written by Middle Easterners. They don't think the way that we do or write the way that we do. And so a lot of the language that's used in here are word pictures, okay? Figurative style in order to communicate to us a literal truth. And sometimes that's where we mess up as Westerners. We, uh, we try to, uh, uh, to, to take something that's figurative and make it literal all the time. It's literally true, okay? Um, but it often contained in a picture to help us understand that. And that happens here in this book. As I mentioned, there's this period of sevens that's, that's mentioned in here. Now, some interpret that to be seven years. 
Could be. Not saying it isn't. But I don't think we have enough information to say that, that it is, that that's absolutely what it means. In the Bible, when numbers are presented, sometimes the numbers represent something. For example, the number seven is the idea of completeness. Because God created the heavens and the earth in seven days, it was complete. Unfin or completely finished. Okay. I tend to think that he created cats after the fall, you know, <laughs> demonstrating even he's in a foul mood. But in seven days, everything, boom, there it was complete. So often when we see something with the number seven or the form of seven, like 70 or something like that, the idea behind it may not be a literal seven days, weeks, months, or something like that, but the idea of the time was complete. So when we talk about what happens in Nebuchadnezzar in this book about this seven periods going by or the seven times going by, it probably just meant that whatever was necessary to bring Nebuchadnezzar to the point that he needed to be at. Uh, it's good to understand that Daniel speaks in the language of dreams and the book is very apocalyptic uh, in its nature. Now, when we get to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he was the ruler of the world at that time. Now, now, when we say that, ruler of the world, that doesn't mean that the entire globe was Nebuchadnezzar's realm. But at this time, the, the world known to these people, Nebuchadnezzar was it. He was the big dog of everything. He's mentioned more than any other non-Israelite king, 91 times out of 88 verses. He was an uncanny strategist, but he usually let his generals do all the nasty work all the fighting. And to fight for Nebuchadnezzar meant ruthlessness and cruel devastation, which strangely enough, God unleashed on his own capital city, Jerusalem, through Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, even though he tore down kingdoms, like he tore down Jerusalem and the temple, was more interested in building projects. In fact, he had finished several extensive uh, projects during his 43 years of reign. One being the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world. Even though Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't know that that building project would be one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, he was probably only convinced when he built it that it was the wonder of the world. But in reality, Nebuchadnezzar was a tool in the hands of Yahweh to chastise Israel for its failure to bear witness to the nations. I think that's something we often miss about the Old Testament, is that Israel wasn't picked just to be God's favorite child, but Israel was chosen to represent God to all of his children. Just like the church today is chosen to represent Jesus to all this world, to go into uh, the world of every nation and make disciples. In a way, that's what God told Israel, go into all this world and make disciples. But Israel at some point decided to just get complacent and sit down and say, no, this is really all about us. We have a personal relationship with Yahweh. He thinks we're something, okay? And so, as a result of that, they did not go out to Babylon. 
Now, here's the funny thing. God, do you ever have a parent that says, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way? <laughs> and, a, and God, as a parent, pretty much said the same thing to Israel over and over again. When you read the prophetic books, that's basically what he's saying. We can do this my way or we can do it the hard way. But Israel decides we're going to do it our way. We're not even going to go to the Babylonians. They're horrible people. Why would we want to witness to them? They're a culture that is so far removed from God that ah, there's no hope for them. All the hope lies in us, just us. And so because they would not go to the Babylonians, the Babylonians came to them and destroyed their city and hauled them away into captivity for 70 years. This time a literal 70 years so that the chastisement upon Israel would be complete and they could come back to the land, hopefully with their tails tucked between their legs a little bit and get back to the business of representing God to every single nation. To rebuild the temple as a place of prayer for all nations. So when it was time to, I don't know, humble Israel, God said, Nebuchadnezzar, go get him. In fact, Jeremiah 25, 9 says this, Behold, I will send for the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants, against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction, make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting destruction. Nebuchadnezzar, God's servant, a wicked, evil king. Think about that one for a moment, just to make it relevant for us. Perhaps it would serve us well to understand that when a nasty politician or ruler is presiding over us, and, and we might be tempted to seek their removal or, or their replacement, to, to change them some way, that in reality, we're failing to understand that God probably put them in place to change our hearts. Because that's what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. All right, let's get to the fourth chapter. The fourth chapter is chiastic uh, in form. That means it's an A, B, B, A progression. Starts with a point, goes to the middle point, kind of stays on that middle point, and then goes back to the original point again. When you read the opening of this chapter, it's, it's kind of epistle-like. I mean, it almost sounds like it's Paul, the way Paul addresses some of his letters. And it goes like this, King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language who live on the earth. May you prosper greatly. Yeah, that's like Paul to Thessalonica. Grace and peace to you. And then it goes from this opening uh, to a song. In verse 2, he says, It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God, that's Adonai, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's read that again. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Wait a minute, Nebuchadnezzar. Really? Seriously? And then listen to this. Here's the psalm. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. <coughs> That sounds like King David. Nebuchadnezzar? Really? And I don't think we can conclude entirely where Nebuchadnezzar was spiritually by the end of this chapter. 
but we can conclude that he was a changed man. There are some hints in this chapter that lead me to believe that Nebuchadnezzar uh, was practicing what we call syncretism, and that's the blending, combining of two religious beliefs, where he was taking his Babylonian pantheon, of which he had a favorite god, whom he named David or Daniel after, but then he added to his pantheon, and actually above his pantheon, Adonai, the god of Israel. So he didn't completely abandon his gods, but he at least included God into it. So I don't think we would say that Nebuchadnezzar comes out of this chapter as a full-blown convert to uh, faith in the God of Israel. But we could say that he definitely ends this chapter one step closer. And who knows what happened after as I said, this is about 43 years of his reign that uh, we're getting towards the end of it when this happens. And by that time, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar had become pretty tight. Daniel, or Daniel at this point is probably around 50 years old. Just a pup next to me. <laughs> and then verses 4 through 34. Um, and I need you to read the, that big package of verses there. It is basically a testimony of brokenness. You know how we do this is my story here at the church from time to time? Someone comes up and shares their story, and typically that's what it includes, a little bit of their brokenness. Until Jesus steps into their life, and they say, I was one way, then I met him, and now I'm different. Uh, that's basically what Nebuchadnezzar is doing in this chapter. It's kind of like he's saying, hey, I just need to interrupt your reading of the book of Daniel for a moment because I have something to say about this God that Daniel serves. And he spends the majority of this passage talking about what a mess he was. And then we get to verse 35, and it's another psalm. And then verses 36 through 37, another testimony, only this time a testimony and restoration. Now, this is a good model if you want to know how to share a testimony. We were asked you to come up front and tell us about God's story and your story intersecting. Uh, you can follow Nebuchadnezzar's uh, pattern here and do the same thing. But basically, to summarize everything that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar says in this book, it kind of comes down to this. I was everything, and then I was nothing. Isn't that something. In Daniel 40, or Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, uh, I would probably ask you out of all the passages in here to highlight or underline or make a mark or something in your Bibles that this is probably the most important phrase in, in this chapter, that God is able to bring down those who live in pride. So this is basically a summation of, Dan, of, of Nebuchadnezzar's story. That guy has way too many syllables in his name. I, I guess the more important you know, the more syllables you get. Uh, so, so anyway, he, he had a dream, because that's what Nebuchadnezzar does. He has dreams. And then he calls his wise men to him, because that's what Nebuchadnezzar does when he has dreams. And he says, wise men, here's my dream. This time he held them out. He told them about the whole dream. And he says, interpret my dream for them. And they said, ah, we don't get it. We don't understand that dream at all. I think they did. I just think they were too chicken to tell him what that dream was about. Because you don't go to a, a mighty king in the Orient like this and give him bad news. So Nebuchadnezzar says, where's Daniel? 
He calls Daniel in. And he's pretty impressed by Daniel, who he named after his god, Belteshazzar. And he says, within Daniel resides the spirit of gods. So Daniel can do this. He's come through before, he'll do it again. And so he tells the dream to Daniel, and Daniel listens, and he goes, oh, ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Nebuchadnezzar, here it is. Here's the interpretation of the dream. You are like a mighty tree. That represents you and the kingdom because you are the kingdom. And that tree is getting cut down. And then the stump is going to be bound with iron and bronze. But the taproot will remain. And he says, you, O king, will crawl about like a wild animal eating grass. Your hair will grow long, your fingers, nails will become like claws. The dew of the fields can cover you for a period of seven times. Wow. What caused that to be? So if I go back to verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. That basically translates into, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was fat and happy. (laughs) I had a dream that made me afraid. And then he goes on to call the wise man and then Daniel to him. If you go to verse 27, as Daniel's giving this not-so-good news to a mighty king, in verse 27, this is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, this ruler of nations, this conqueror of kingdoms. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right, and your wickedness by becoming kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will that's the boldness of Daniel he was polite he was friends with this man I would say that he probably spent the last 50 years of his life earning the right to be able to speak this into this king's life but basically what he said is Nebuchadnezzar God's going to humble you you did not make this kingdom happen you aren't the reason that all these things have turn into this glorious, wonderful thing that we call Babylon. God himself did that. He gave it to you. He could have given it to anybody. So Nebuchadnezzar, you might want to take this opportunity to repent of your sins and go another direction. To be one way, meet God, and then be different. And then perhaps you'll see your prosperity continue. You know, I think there's a very important thing that we should notice in this, is he didn't just say to Nebuchadnezzar, stop it. you got to look this up on YouTube. Bob Newhart does this skit where he plays a psychologist, and this person comes in and says that they're afraid that they're going to be buried alive in a box. And he says, I'm going to say two very important words to you right now. Stop it. And that was advice. Every problem she had, stop it. 
that sort of thing. Finally, she got mad at him, and so he said, okay, I'm gonna give you 10 words. Stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. That's <laughs> <laughs> great skit. Uh, just give you a punchline, sorry. Anyway, uh, you know, and, and that doesn't work. You know, and we know that. It doesn't work to just tell somebody to stop it. And, and that's true of sin. We, we don't go to the world and say, stop it. In fact, if you're dealing with a sin right now that you want to stop, you don't just stop it. You replace it. If I'm doing something, if I'm using my mouth, my attitude, or my actions in a way that's not pleasing to God, I can't just stop doing that thing. What i got to do is something else instead. I have to do something where I'm using my mouth or my attitude or my actions in a way that reflects Jesus Christ. And that's basically what Daniel said. Repent of your sins and uh, renounce them and, and do what is right. Get rid of your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. So that takes us to verse 28, where it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking in the roof on the royal palace of Babylon, so a year after this dream and Daniel giving him this warning, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? He's kind of full of himself, isn't he? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. If you read in the New Testament, both Romans and 1 Peter, we're told that every authority that exists on earth, every human authority was placed there by God. He can give it. He can take it away. You will be driven away from the people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And it goes on to basically repeat those consequences that he was driven out away from mankind and living like a wild beast in the fields with no reason left in his mind. He is able to bring down those who walk in pride. You know, there are all kinds of forms in which pride manifests itself. Um, and, and we are all susceptible to each and every one of them. We may not be the ruler of a great and mighty empire like Nebuchadnezzar was, but we do kind of build our own kingdoms. We kind of like statements out of poetry that say that we are the captains of our souls, but we are not. One of the kinds of pride that, that, that we might succumb to is intellectual pride. You know, that's where we start getting the idea that I'm smarter about everything than everyone else. You know, whenever your wife comes up to you and says, you want to know what your problem is? <laughs> I mean, the unspoken answer is no, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm going to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that from my wife. You always have to be right. You always have to be right. Well, I'm a teacher. You know, that's kind of important in a teacher, you know, being right about stuff, things like that. So there was this one time where uh, I wasn't, I, I was wrong. <laughs> she made sure to let me know that I was wrong. Just once. But she was really hinting for me to actually acknowledge, you know what, honey, I was wrong. 
I got close. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I wasn't as right as I could have been. <laughs> but isn't that true? Don't we sometimes think that, that we know more than other people know? Mm -hmm. Just look on Facebook. There's theological pride. This is something that we preachers and pastors and things, we got to watch out for constantly. Uh, because again, we, you know, we want to make sure that we're we're giving you the right stuff out of the Bible and things like that, but it doesn't just happen to pastors and preachers, it can happen to any Christian, and, and that's where we start to get this idea in our head that I have a clearer, better understanding of who God is and what the Bible says than anybody else. And again, if you doubt that, just look on Facebook, because <laughs> it happens on both sides, both the left and the right. Then there's political pride. My candidates know how to get this country up and running better than anyone else. Actually, none of them do. You know, they're just all tools in God's hands. Just, just like Nebuchadnezzar. But man, we'll, we'll go to war with each other over that moment. That's pride. Here's one that's really insidious. I call this the pride of the martyr. So when we make a really big deal about our servanthood. Oh, look what I'm doing. Look how I'm serving God. Look how I sacrifice. Again, to question that, just look on Facebook. Because that's usually where we get fat and happy in our palace and crow about who we are. And then, of course, there's personal pride, anything that demonstrates that one is sufficient in him or herself. And placing ourselves within the orbit of others. See, it's all about me. This universe revolves around me. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was kind of full of himself. And truth be told, every single one of us sitting in this room, that happens to us too. We get kind of full of ourselves. When we think that we're sufficient and that somehow we know better than anybody else, sometimes even including God, we won't admit it, but that's how we're acting. That's how we're thinking. We can start declaring what is sin and what is not sin. Hmm. That fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Tasty, isn't it? Like I said, I'm standing on my own toes when I say these things because I know I'm susceptible to any one of these things. I know I've demonstrated that kind of pride. And see, the thing about pride is that pride is the distortion of God's design and intention for each and every one of us. Like I said, instead of being in God orbiting around God, we, we reverse it and others in God have to orbit around us. It causes us to have the wrong perspective of who we are and, and then we have the wrong perspective of God and the wrong perspective of others. Pride completely destroys our ability to love God with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our bodies. And it does not help us love our neighbors as ourselves because truly what we're doing is we're just loving ourselves. And when pride rises up in us, it will cause God's voice to become dull. 
When pride takes root in us, our spiritual growth will begin to wither. When pride overtakes us, we are so easily offended. When pride washes over us, divisions are caused to breed and then be cultivated to the point of toxicity. When pride lives in me, death and destruction and division seeps out in all of its forms. It's no wonder that the Bible says that God is opposed to pride. so far as to say this. Pride is the Antichrist. It's that attitude that can rise up in us that opposes Christ. And the reason I say that is Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there if you'd like. Or scroll to it on your phone. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, those are all good things, aren't they? Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Some translations say, rather, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why I say pride is the Antichrist, because Christ was humility. Christ who deserved all of us to fall on our face before him and to serve him instead came to serve us. Christ who deserves every single one of us to stand before him and say, here's my life, take it, it's yours. It belongs to you. Instead came and said, here's my life, take it, make it yours. 
You see, we talk about grace. We talk about the forgiveness of sin. We talk about the hope of eternal life. We talk about all those things, and all those things are reality because Christ, who is the majestic one over the entire universe, who, des who deserved our worship, who deserves our praise, instead said, I'm going to come to a cross, and I'm going to take your place on it. I'm going to die your death, and I'm going to carry your sins. But I'm also going to come back to life for your life. And to do that, he emptied himself. I thought you wonder what that meant when I would read Philippians and I'd look at the Greek and go, what is that? Uh, this kenosis idea here. And, and I think it comes from the context of the verse where it says that we're to think of others' interests as more important than our own. And, and I think that's probably what it is that Jesus emptied himself of self-interest. So it's no wonder when he calls a man or a woman to follow himself, he says, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means that we recognize him as our rabbi. And the practice of, of the student and the, or the disciple and the rabbi was was you imitated absolutely everything the rabbi did. If he scratched his ear, you scratched your ear. You walked as close, you followed as close to that rabbi as you could so that the dust of his feet would land on you. And that should be our desire, that the dust of Jesus would cover us. And whatever Jesus would do, we would do. But to do that means we have to empty ourselves. So the closing of Daniel chapter 4, as I said, includes a, another testimony and another psalm. Whenever that seven periods was, that seven times, it says in verse 34, again from the words, the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything that he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So what would it take to bring us to the end of ourselves? Because that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. That was the whole lesson for him in this chapter is, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to come to the end of yourself here so that you get a, a right grasp of reality. 
And because we're just as susceptible to being full of ourselves as Nebuchadnezzar was, the question might be, what would it take to bring us to the end of ourselves? We do it the God's way, or we do it the hard way. Because the Bible says in the New Testament, humble yourself. And, and, and I think the, the unwritten message to that is humble yourself so God doesn't have to do it. Because if God has to do it, we can see from Nebuchadnezzar's example, it ain't fun. So what would it take to say, I was everything. Then I became nothing. And then God made me his child. Isn't that something? Let's pray. Fathers, we bow ourselves before you. We bow because that is a posture of humility. We bow because there is no one higher than you. We bow because we know we can't take your place. Lord, someday there will be a completion. And at that period of time, every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth, whether believers, unbelievers, angels, or devils, every knee is going to bend to you because of who you are. And every tongue is going to confess that you indeed are Lord. And God, if you are our Lord and you are our God and you could empty yourself to come and die a horrible death on a cross and to basically bear our hell while you did that, God, who are we to say we're too good for that? So, Lord, here we are. Here are our hearts. Were they full of anything but Jesus? Would you empty us today? Would you pour us out like a drink offering? Would you help us to realize that if there's any thing that we can say is really something about us, that that something would just be the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, this we pray in your son's name.
the benediction, just a, a couple of notes. Um, one thing being is that uh, following, for those of you who are live streaming, following the service, we're immediately going to go to the parking lot. And uh, we're going to switch the live stream, I believe, over to Evan's iPhone. So you'll want to reconnect with us <laughs> and, uh, and be a part of what's going to happen after the service. And the other thing I just, I just got to say, because a lot of people in the live stream are commenting about, where is church happening at today? It's the set that's throwing them off. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to give a plug for Seraphim. Um, this week, come and see Jeeves Intervenes, the play that they're currently doing. You will laugh, and I think we need more laughs. So come and fill this place with your laughter. I just want to say that to them as being our hosts here and help, helping us to be able to carry on here. But the benediction I'm going to read is, is going to come out of the continuation of Philippians chapter 2. And Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Come ground this point, you may have a seat, and should I invite Antonia up as well? Yes. And Antonia, come on up here to this very crowded stage. There's always room for one more. Well, before we head out, so that all of you can hear it, we would just love to hear a bit as really just a testament of exactly what, uh, what we talked about today, of what happens when uh, someone realizes that they've reached the end of themselves and they're not going to try anymore. They're going to give it to Jesus' hands. So we would just love to hear a little bit from you, Antonia. Why it is that you're choosing to be baptized today? I just think I'd like to pray first just because the message today was uh, yeah, it really hit home. It really applies. Thank you. 
twice <laughs> when Jesus was taken up into heaven. Um, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the desert for 40 years. God was there with them, even if they didn't see. Um, and so that's why I'm here today, not on anything that I could have done on my own, but because God is there, the clouds are there, friends and family that I get to choose what they're feeling and bringing me here. So thanks to all of you, whether I know you for sure or not, um, whether I know your names or not. Um, if you lock yourself out of my Zoom account for <laughs> devotionals that I run at the school, or you listen to me cry on your couch um, when you fed me food because I forgot to eat that day, um, just thank you, all of you, for being God to me to bring me here. I hope that explains this. <laughs> that certainly does. Well, thank you so much, Wyatt God for what he has done in your life and you are just inspiring all of us um, to continue to be cloud followers as we seek after him and so with that I'm going to say a quick prayer and then we're going to dismiss and head outside there are three doors that will be best to get outside there's one over on the west side of the building to the left there's one directly back behind you here be careful there's some stuff in the stairway going out that door and then there's the staircase in the middle here so we just ask that we kind of split in three directions so we don't run all one another over, then we will go out and put you in the cold water. That's not great. <laughs> but with that, let me just pray and we can go. Well, Father God, we just praise you for the work that you've done in Antonia's life. We praise you for your continued presence. And God, would you continue to give her eyes that see your presence all around her, ears that hear your voice as she digs into the word, as she meets with others, as you continue to speak into her. God, this is a moment when she is committing her life to you, and so God, we praise you for that, and we give you full credit for the work that you have done to get her to this point. And God, we know that there is a celebration in heaven today as she commits her life to you, and so God, we just ask that your spirit of joy and celebration be so tangible today as we celebrate your daughter being baptized and raised to life in your name. And so Jesus, we just give you this time, and we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, there's that. You ready to head out? Okay, cool. We have towels coming down.